exist to encourage the soul-nourishing practice of pondering the Bible with friends. Welcome back to the Ponder Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Hardin, and I'm excited to simply ponder the Bible with you in this space. So much has happened since we were last together. There's never been a more important time to remain tethered to Christ through the truth of His Word and prayer. So as usual, my hope and prayer is that God would use this podcast as a resource to help us engage our hearts in the word and, okay, this is important, and compel us to do this with friends in our own day-to-day lives. Today, we begin a new series, Pondering Ruth. And while I will not have as many guests in this season, I'm excited to have my friend Kina Aragon with me today. Kina is an assistant editor and administrative assistant for Women's Initiatives for the Gospel Coalition. She's also an author and spoken word artist residing in Tampa, Florida with her husband, John, and five-year-old daughter. John and Kina are members of Living Faith Bible Fellowship. Her first children's book, Love Made, poetically retells the story of creation, through a Trinitarian lens of overflowing love. Its sequel, Love Gave, poetically retells the incarnation and good news of Jesus Christ through that same Trinitarian lens. Since we will be pondering the book as a whole, the whole book of Ruth, four chapters, let's jump right in. Welcome to the Ponder Podcast, Kina. It's so great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I was thinking about how long I've known you. I don't even know how many years it's been. We were just talking about college. Yep. Like, it has at least been 12, 13 yeah. years. Yeah, I was maybe? a freshman 2007, So, and now we're in 2021. So that was like... For me, I was, I think I was a junior, but that was like a pivotal time in my faith. That's when I was Mm. really learning about what the gospel really is and about discipleship. Mm. I remember we used to have a lot of good conversations about, about those topics and stuff. And I remember, even though you were younger than me, like looking up to you as I just saw you wrestling Mm. and seeking God. And then I still see that in you now. (laughs) (laughs) Our lives have changed a lot. We have families and walk through different trials, but just that burden to follow the Lord and to bring others with us is still there. Yeah, it's it's surreal to be together doing this after so mm-hmm. many years and to still see you walking just as faithfully and, and in, a, in a totally different season. Well, I'm really excited because today we're going to be pondering Ruth as a book, as a whole. And the reason why I invited you on was because you shared a testimony almost a year ago. I think it was late spring where you were talking about you you were studying Ruth and you had all these things going on in your life. And you literally got to see Ruth played out in your community and in your Mm. life. And it was just so powerful. It just made me want to study. So then when I had an opportunity to get in the word with a friend, that's what we studied. (laughs) And I was like, I want to get some of what she got. Like, mm. I I knew Ruth. I'd read it. It was cool. I saw Jesus. You know, it was nice. Mm. But you, there was just such richness. And I was like, I think I'm missing something. And so it's been a joy just to, to study the book. But I'm excited to hear more of that come out in our 
conversation. So would you mind just praying for our time briefly here? Yeah, um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be here with my dear sister and friend. Lord, thank you for your word, God, that we... Uh, we are in desperate need to hear from you. Uh, our setting, as we may talk about our setting right now in the middle of a pandemic with economic and relational strain uh, in our lives and, and in the lives of those around us, God, uh, we feel like Naomi, a need to hear from you, a need to see you move, God. So wherever each of us is at in every wherever every listener is at right now in terms of uh, their hearts, in terms of their concerns and their burdens, I just ask that your word would reach each of us in the specific way that you want it to to reach us, God. We thank you so much that your word is living and active and, and able uh, to do that, God. We love you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Ruth... It starts out with what I would consider kind of like a prologue. We're informed that during the time of Judges, when there was great wickedness in Israel and a refusal to follow God as their primary judge and king, a man named Elimelech moved his family to Moab due to a famine in Israel. Uh, They were from Judah, specifically Bethlehem, and he moved them into a pagan nation for food. His sons marry Moabite women. Both he and his sons die. When the famine ends, his wife, Naomi, decides to return. She tries to get her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, but Ruth insists on coming with her, declaring not only her devotion to Naomi, but to her people and most importantly to God. Ruth ends up gleaning in the fields as a poor person for both her and Naomi and ends up doing it in the field of Boaz, a nobleman with character who takes notice of her and shows her favor protecting her from men who could take advantage of her and generously feeding her and through her, Naomi as well. Naomi gets this idea for Ruth to basically propose to Boaz, who is a family redeemer in their line. Boaz takes her up on this, but acknowledges that there is a closer kinsman who has the right to redeem Naomi first. That redeemer refuses. Ruth and Boaz marry, and their child ends up being the great-great-grandfather of David. So that's like a <laughs> summary of the book. Um, but was there anything you would say differently or add just based on your studies? No, that was a, that was a great summary. I think um, to reiterate what you said mm-hmm. in the beginning, the first phrase is in the days when the judges ruled. And then the last word it, at the end of Ruth 4 is David. So it takes mm-hmm. us. Yeah, it, it, it's place in redemptive history is super important because it takes us from the time of the judges and the moral, Mm -hmm. economic, uh, spiritual, social decay all the way to one of the greatest kings of Israel. And of course, us reading this after the cross, we know that the Messiah would come from the lineage of King David, that there would be a a greater King David in in Christ. Uh, And so it's a it, it's a crucial part in the the story development and mm-hmm. the fact that front and center in this crucial part of uh, redemptive history is this woman for one mm-hmm. <laughs> woman right then you got the fact that she's a widow then you got the fact that she's poor 
Then you got the fact that she is a foreigner. She's an immigrant. Um, so it, it, that in and of itself, I think, causes us to pause and go, whoa, this mm-hmm. God. Yeah, this God of Israel is something different from the rest of the, the gods uh, at this time. And it's something different uh, than the gods of this time as well. So yeah, it's incredible when you just think about the setting in and of itself. So as you think about the book as a whole, what stands out to you the most? Like, what are you left with? Yeah, it's so hard to pick one thing. Yeah. I think what sticks out to me, and there's there's so many things, what I just mentioned, of course, the fact that God, similar to, you know, when Jesus told the, the Good Samaritan story in Luke, the lawyer's like, you know, what, what must I do? Mm-hmm. And he, he, he's, well, how, well, what's, what's the, or he says, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, you, well, why don't you summarize it? Well, love God and love your neighbor. Okay, good. And then the lawyer wanting to justify himself was like, yeah, but you know, how, like can, who's, who's really my neighbor. And mm-hmm. Jesus tells this story of the good Samaritan and he's in telling that story, he centers a hated uh, religious and ethnic group. So for his Jewish audience to hear, oh, the person who's being a neighbor in this story is a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. That would have surely it did make them bristle. So to the point where Jesus says, well, who's being a neighbor in this story? And the Jewish lawyer says, oh, the one who shows mercy. He can't even fix his lips to say the mm. Samaritan. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, so I think in some ways, it's not a perfect parallel, but in some ways, the book of Ruth is sort of like an Old Testament version of that, where God mm. is telling us a story in the middle of the time of the judges where Israelites are tripping, basically. They're, they mm-hmm. are not, everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. There's this mm-hmm. cycle of sin and oppression and then God rescuing them and them running right back to the sin and then the oppression mm-hmm. and the judgment. So you're in the middle of this cycle of decay, right? This moral and spiritual decay. And for God to then center a foreigner, a widow, a poor woman, naming her and then centering her as this model of hesed or, you know, covenant loyal love or loyalty Mm -hmm. to the covenant to Yahweh. I mean, for God to do that, if you are an Israelite and you think that God, um, that you have special favor with God simply because of your ethnic heritage or your connection to Abraham as a descendant Mm -hmm. of Abraham, this book flies in the face of that assumption saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not simply because you're, you're an ethnic descendant of Abraham. It's those who are faithful to covenant with me, with, with God, Mm -hmm. those who are faithful to covenant with God, these, this is, this is the ultimate identity. And obviously it's a picture of what God was doing and would ultimately do through his son, which is to bless Mm -hmm. all the nations of the Mm -hmm. world, including this hated, you know, enemy group, the Moabites. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that about it because we live in a time or at least you may find yourself if you live in the U.S. 
frustrated or exhausted by the marginalization of voices like the roots of our culture, the marginalization of voices mm-hmm. uh, of the poor and of the immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here is a book where God is kind of just beautifully and masterfully displaying his heart for the nations and mm-hmm. what true, I think, identity is about. Man, that's so good. That's so good. I remember that, I think it's in like the second half of chapter one where Ruth, she says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go, with her she said no more I just I read that and I'm like if you read a lot of the Old Testament you just know that her words echo Mm. scripture or like prophets will say things like this like from the Lord like thus says the Lord and so I was like man like that's the Holy Spirit like that's like she knows (laughs) God (laughs) to say this that way like it's not just like a so like oh I think you know I kind of like your God like she is speaking Mm. like him so it just stands out to me that like she spoke like the lord you can look up several cross references that say things just like that where god says um, they will be my people Mm. and i will be their god and so it just kind of confirms her conversion Mm -hmm. it's the covenant it's the covenant you just talked about so i love that what stood out to me was just that first line that you read during the time of the judges or in the days when the judges ruled, um, like, especially when you're reading it, like in a Bible plan and you're just yeah. been in judges, you know, like, whoa, this happened because it just looks like everything mm-hmm. is bleak. So it amazes me that this is even happening. It's not like when you're reading judges, there's no chapter like, OK, let's just talk about Ruth over here and King David's mm-hmm. family line. You just have this picture of like bleakness, judgment, it's ugly and so when I was studying this back in the summer, that is really what, like you mentioned, that's how I felt about stuff here in, in our nation and even just the church. Like I was just feeling really hopeless. And so just studying Ruth, it was like, God is always mm-hmm. working and it's not glamorous. Like there's nothing really glamorous mm-hmm. about this story. Like if you were watching it as a movie, she's just in the field, mm-hmm. you know, right. <laughs> gleaning. <laughs> Um, it's like not that interesting, but yet the Lord was doing something mm-hmm. incredible. Like you said, it's a very important time in redemptive history. And so that really gave mm-hmm. me hope. And so every time I think about Ruth, that's like the first thing I mentioned. It's like this book happened like during this time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, what I mean? it's very, it's significant. It looks insignificant, but it's significant that the Lord was bringing about the Messiah, like mm. through David and even bringing off this king. And like you go into first Samuel even and their whole narrative of like them mm. wanting a king, rejecting God. But yet at the same time, if you just study Ruth, you're like, yo, but God mm. knows what's going on. And he's already working it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so just having that biblical perspective of like all these things are happening. It looks one way, but it doesn't mean that God isn't mm. at work or there isn't a remnant of faithful people in covenant with him who are pressing on um in obedience Mm -hmm. to him i think about even boaz like i was um reading about just 
the Jewish roots of our faith and trying to understand Jesus' mm-hmm. teachings more, like without like my Western lens. And I was learning about like when he talks about having healthy mm-hmm. eyes and just how that means like you're a person of generosity, like you see needs mm-hmm. and you meet them like you that's what God is like. And that's what he expects his people to be like. So I couldn't help in reading about Boaz. I was like, Oh, like he would represent someone like that. Like who has like healthy Mm -hmm. eyes who like, he's not just going to be thinking about himself. Kind of like actually kind of like the other redeemer, like about how this is going to affect him. Like he's willing to sacrifice. He's willing to take a risk and like be generous to Ruth and Naomi. And that's just such a picture of Jesus as well. Um, and it's also a very challenging picture of who he calls us to be. And Ruth is the same way. Like, she's very, like, just choosing to go to Naomi. It's beautiful because of the Lord, but it's also kind of like, whoa, like, what are you walking mm-hmm. into, Ruth? <laughs> you know, what are you risking by um, your devotion? Yeah, you, you don't really, I don't really know a ton of immigrants that move uh, because, uh, like, they, I don't know a lot of immigrants that are moving to a worse situation or like that most people migrate because of necessity, maybe fear of persecution or economic trouble. Um, they're trying to build a better life. And Ruth mm-hmm. is over here like, I'm actually going to walk away from the so yeah, the social and financial security of my my mother's home. And I'm going to go to a mm-hmm. place where I'm going to be a foreigner and most likely an, an outcast mm-hmm. and an outsider. And, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, God is constantly concerned about this quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the sojourner, the orphan. And I mean, Ruth fits into three of those four categories, right? So God has this special concern in his law uh, for these, this quartet of the vulnerable. And here Ruth is willfully putting herself into this vulnerable position. And as you mentioned in chapter one, her, her sort of like statement of faith shows that it's ultimately because she is connecting herself, not just to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. She's saying, I'm, I believe this God so much. And obviously that of course is a picture of Christ who does the ultimate cosmic migration from the security and riches of heaven and makes himself a vulnerable baby um, born into Mm -hmm. poverty for the sake of love for the father and love for us, love for people. Mm -hmm. And Ruth obviously exemplifies that. But to your point earlier, it is the setting is so important in Ruth. I mean, like you said, that that cycle mm-hmm. of 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 just that bleakness within Judges that mm-hmm. in the it's almost like the way I would see it is like you're reading Judges and it's like you're watching it in black and white. And then at, at the end of mm-hmm. that, you know, Netflix series, the book of Ruth comes and it's like in this little town of Bethlehem, which obviously points us to the birthplace of the Christ. But in this little in this little town Mm -hmm. of Bethlehem, you see a little dash of color on the screen and it kind of starts to Mm -hmm. spread as you see the the story of Ruth play out. And it just shows, like you said, even in um, painful and confounding times, God is committed to covenant kindness beyond what we can even perceive. Because like you said, you don't, you know, she's not gleaning and imagining all of these, you know, being in the lineage of the Messiah. She's not thinking about that. She's just 
walking uh, faithfully with God. And so is Boaz. And really so is Naomi, who often gets demonized in the retelling of this book. But I don't think she, I don't think she should be demonized. Um, she also exercises agency and covenant faithfulness, especially once you get to like uh, chapter three. But to your point, mm-hmm. it's even in these painful times, which we're in right now, uh, is why it's so relevant. Mm-hmm. God is still committed to covenant kindness beyond what we can even perceive. And I think the big part of Ruth is that his covenant kindness is often mediated through the means of his covenant people faithfully applying Mm. his word in their lives. So one of the big things about Ruth that is easy to notice is that God doesn't speak directly into the narrative. He doesn't. It's like... It, uh, propaganda, the, the rapper is like, he says that in a beautiful eulogy mm-hmm. song where he's like, uh, sometimes I get frustrated because my life is more like the book of Ruth rather than Exodus. <laughs> so in mm-hmm. Exodus, God is speaking like every page. He's, he's doing all these miracles and all mm-hmm. this. And a lot of times we find ourselves more in a situation like Ruth where we're like, God, if you could just give me a sign, if you could just speak from the clouds, that would be really helpful right now. But He doesn't speak directly into the narrative in a sense where he doesn't go, Boaz, I want you to get up and go redeem uh, Ruth and Naomi's family. I want you to go. No, he doesn't do that. But in a in a real sense, Mm -hmm. God is speaking into the narrative. How do we know that? Because he has given up at this point in in Israel's history, he has given them the whole the law, the first five books of the Bible, he's mm-hmm. given them uh, the law that that explicitly talks about those gleaning laws, caring for the the sojourner or the immigrant in your land, caring for the poor, mm-hmm. caring for the widow, the redemption laws that provide for families that fi- find themselves um, getting into poverty where they could lose their connection to the promised land, which is super important for God because he's like, look, I got y'all out of slavery so that that you, you can have this land as your inheritance. So it's very important to me that mm-hmm. each family within Israel is connected to the land. And that's why your quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, uh, the orphan and the immigrant, mm-hmm. they don't have a connection to the land. So God has set up already in his word, all of these laws to make sure that they're a part of that inheritance too, that they aren't excluded from being able to worship God, from being able to serve God um, and from, from being able to to be connected to the inheritance that he had given his people. And so he has, Mm -hmm. so in a sense, God is speaking into this narrative because Boaz and, and Ruth and Naomi, but Boaz in particular is living out the heart of that law. So there, there, it's important Mm -hmm. to be like, look, Mm -hmm. Boaz is an incredible example uh, of a man of faith, but at least in my experience, a lot of times when the book of Ruth is taught or presented, it all, you would think that Boaz is so exceptional, uh, in a sense. And he does picture, he does model Christ. I was a kinsman redeemer, like all of that stuff. He Mm -hmm. models Christ, but what Boaz is doing, and this is this isn't to take away from his exemplary faith, but but all he's doing is applying the law. All he and what he's mm-hmm. doing is 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 essentially applying the heart of the law. He could have done, you know, he could have done mm-hmm. the bare minimum and been like, 
a I, I let you glean. Mm-hmm. That's very explicit in the law. I did, you know, but he goes, oh, he goes what mm-hmm. we would think over the top. Like, no, let me make sure you're full. And then that you have leftovers, bring some to your mother-in-law. Oh, and even going mm-hmm. as far as the, to the redemption and making sure that it works out. Like he does go above and beyond, but but in him doing that, what he's exemplifying, like Christ, is the heart of the law, the whole heart behind what God was was trying to tell them what to do wasn't so that they would just do the bare minimum and then kind of wash their hands of the mm-hmm. misery of the poor. It was, oh, let me let me take even go as far as to take a loss to my finances. Let me go as mm-hmm. far as to commit myself into marriage with this woman so that my wealth becomes her wealth. Uh, That is, he's just Mm -hmm. exemplifying the heart of the law. So in, in this sort of like, I I called in my small group, I called it the Hesed triangle. So if you think of a triangle, the points of the triangle, the three points of a triangle, you have Boaz on one point, you have Ruth on another point, Naomi on another point. There is this Hesed triangle or this covenant, this triangle of kindness, this covenant kindness that's happening, Mm -hmm. this interplay between Ruth, she shows covenant kindness to Naomi in chapter one. And then Boaz shows Ruth and Naomi covenant kindness in chapter two, and then Ruth also shows that covenant kindness to Naomi in chapter two. Then in chapter three, now Naomi is exercising her agency and she's showing covenant kindness to Ruth through coming up with this plan. And then obviously Ruth is doing Mm -hmm. that to Naomi by boldly asking Boaz to, to marry her and redeem the family. Boaz, of course, by agreeing is showing covenant kindness all the way through four. So there's this triangle that's happening and through that that triangle of kindness, God isn't directly speaking, but he is in a way because his people mm-hmm. are faithfully applying his word in their lives. Yeah, I love that because I think when I think about what helped me kind of come out of my low spot this summer, it was remembering the heart of the father. And when I hear you say like, even like the heart of the law, like whose law is it? They were talking about God's heart, you know? Um, so I, I really love that. And that's definitely going to affect what I say as far as uh, how I think the Lord wants me to respond to this. But um, I would love to hear, like you've been saying covenant kindness. So just real quick, when you say covenant kindness, it makes me think this is more than just, you know, I'm going to be kind to this person. It seems like it's tied to what you were saying about it being like, he's basically just doing what the law says. So these are people who are, they recognize, um, like when you think about the covenant people, there's an expectation of how they relate with each other, not because they like each other or whatever, but just on the basis of being God's people. So I would just love to hear you just kind of uh, flesh out what you mean when you say covenant kindness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so covenant's like a fancy word for relationship and that that's not to like downplay the, like all of the intricacies of covenant, but it's, it's mm-hmm. relationship. It's the whole, what you said earlier, I will be mm-hmm. your God and you will be my people. So that's in terms of covenant with mm-hmm. God. And then with, if you are in this covenant with God, if you're in this relationship, you know, this commitment with God, his law talks a ton about 
caring for your neighbor, caring for others who are in Mm -hmm. that covenant and even caring for those who are outside of that covenant. But when you look at like chapter two, for example, when Ruth is like confounded, she is just shocked that Boaz would do all that he's doing for her. And she's like, what, how are you, you know, taking notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Like we, we're in the time mm-hmm. of the judges right now. Na- Naomi mentions the fact <laughs> that if if Ruth were in some other field, she'd probably get uh, raped or sexually abused. Uh, so mm-hmm. we're in this time of moral decay. And I who suffers in these times of the judges who suffers the most when people are going after other gods or following their own hearts instead of God's the vulnerable suffer the most, not the privileged, Mm -hmm. but the people who like Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabite, um, Mm -hmm. they suffer the most. So, so she's shocked in chapter two. She's like, how are you taking notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz's answer to her is, he says, well, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Then he says this sort of prayer for her in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so in other words, Boaz is like, look, I'm not just uh, doing this willy nilly. I know your reputation of covenant faithfulness. I know what you uh, forsook in order to show faithfulness to your mother-in-law, in order to show faithfulness to the God of Israel. And my prayer is that he'll bless mm-hmm. you in return for that. Um, and so mm-hmm. you see, again, that triangle of covenant kindness is that it's not that it's convenient for Ruth to go out there and glean on behalf of her, on behalf of her and Naomi. It's not that, <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. that it's convenient for Boaz to, Uh, do all that he does in chapter two for her to protect her and provide over the top provision. It's not that it's convenient for him to marry her. Um, She's not coming from a rich Mm -hmm. family. All right. He's, he's, he's incurring a loss. You just talk about finance. Mm -hmm. He's incurring a loss by doing that. But the reason why they're doing that is because they're ultimately impressed by God's faithfulness to them. And so they're rendering their mm-hmm. lives as like worship to God. And what happens when you are impressed with God, when you are uh, in a faithful, committed relationship with God, the your heroes change. The people you're impressed uh, mm. by change. It goes from, oh, I'm just, you mm. know, it, when before I was a believer, I was only really impressed by like incredible athletes <laughs> or or <laughs> scholars or whatever. But now it's not that I'm not impressed by by just raw skill and talent. But now the people that really impress me, I'm talking. That's the mm-hmm. people, like I said earlier, the Ruths that I know. In other words, like my like mm-hmm. my my aunt and uncle in laws um, who got who got deported mm-hmm. unjustly a couple mm-hmm. uh, two years ago now, like their faith mm-hmm. through all of the injustices and hatred and xenophobia and racism that they've experienced as Afro Latinos and as immigrants in this country, and to still faithfully 
proclaim the gospel, to still live for Jesus. That to me, that's covenant faithfulness. It's not because it's it's convenient for them. It's not because they it's it's actually inconvenient for them, but it is um exemplary. So so Boaz is impressed with Ruth. Ruth is impressed with Boaz. And I think all of that springs from them being impressed with with Yahweh. So I just was thinking about like, as we ponder these things, as we think about these things, like how is it hitting me in my life right now? Um, how is it encouraging me to be faithful to the Lord? And I just loved how you put it about Boaz. Just simply, it's not simple. There was sacrifice. It was like you said, it wasn't convenient, but just living out the word of God and particularly the heart of the word of God. And I think like, it's so easy to, for me, cause I can be so easily led by my feelings or by what I see. Like if things look bleak, then I kind of in turn will just be like, Oh, life's so, and it's almost like an excuse not to persevere an excuse not to continue to be kind. It may even seem like, does this even matter? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, does it matter how I, treat my neighbors or does it matter even what's going on in my church if I'm seeing like on a larger scale things Mm. that really discourage me um but this book for one it has made me more grateful for my church or like when I hear you share with like things going on in your community and how you guys are um worshiping and serving one another it kind of is like reading Ruth and being like you know what in the midst of all the stuff that could discourage us God Mm. is still working But as far as like me today, it's like continue living the word, like trust that God is, he's still working. Even if I don't see it, even if like you said propaganda, even if it's like Ruth that I'm not hearing him, it's not very clear, but to continue to walk in obedience because, because I believe him, because I'm his, you know, not because he's showing me all these signs every day. You know what I mean? Like looking for Mm -hmm. miracles or, you know what I mean? So that's how I'm encouraged is like, yes, it's good to be informed, to know what's going on and to be praying and doing our part. But also just like, help help me, Lord, to just continue in obedience in the small mm-hmm. things, too, you know, and not, not give yeah. up. No, the same, I mean, the same. It's like it makes me ask, you know. God, who are the vulnerable outsiders in my sphere of influence, in my community, in my neighborhood, in my even in my church? Who are those vulnerable Mm -hmm. outsiders? Because uh, like Ruth the Moabite, they they exist within our churches, within our communities. Mm -hmm. God, give me eyes to see them because they're searching for hope. They're searching for compassion and they ought to find that compassion and kindness in the church, in us Christians. Uh, They ought to find that kindness among us. Um, In fact, when we look Mm -hmm. at the testimony of Boaz and Ruth, I mean, they should find super abundant kindness over the over the top Mm -hmm. kind of like. I don't even understand right now type kindness uh, from from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it to your point, it always goes back to Jesus telling us, abide in me and my words in you. Right. Like abide. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, God mm-hmm. is going to develop a heart for those outsiders. God is going to develop. He's mm-hmm. going to. And this is often my prayer. Overcome my apathy. 
because the the yeah the information <sighs> overload uh you know that that I don't think our brains are even wired to be able to handle the information overload of just opening my Twitter feed can feel so discouraging mm-hmm. to the point where I just don't do anything I don't pray I don't I don't do anything I'm just over I'm just gonna go watch Netflix now so God overcome my apathy and one the the ways he does that is is of course prayer prayer and fasting and uh, letting his word abide in us like constantly coming back because mm. if you're gonna go through your bible plan you're you're gonna have to see those laws about immigrants <laughs> and then you're gonna have to ask yourself mm-hmm. And the poor. And you're going to have to ask yourself, what's my Mm -hmm. heart attitude like towards the poor, the poor in my family, Mm -hmm. the poor in my, you know, church? Like, do I have an attitude mm-hmm. sometimes and I'm I'm just out here confessing right now but you know I do I have an attitude mm-hmm. sometimes that looks down on them that says oh well they they must have done mm-hmm. something wrong well even if they did what's mm-hmm. God's heart for the poor I if I'm abiding in his mm-hmm. word I can't avoid that and his spirit is going mm-hmm. to change me so I hope that people mm-hmm. don't leave like, That's oh, cool. man, I got to, you know, read all the books on all the things and be informed about all the mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's fine if you can make the margin for that. But the main thing is to abide in God's word because he's going to develop that heart of the law in you. I mean, that's that's a part of the promise of the mm-hmm. new covenant is that God's law would be written on our hearts. Yes. Um, so we have the spirit of Jesus mm-hmm. in us and Jesus obviously perfectly walked out the heart of, of the law. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. abide, abide in his word. And I think he'll, the Holy spirit will begin to show each of us in our unique circumstances and, and life situations who are those outsiders among us who are searching for kindness. Um, That's good. Yeah. And I, I'll just add this and we can close that. Um, Oftentimes in conversations like these, I I wonder if any of the listeners can relate to this, that it will feel kind of overwhelming. Like, ah, man, I could just think where I live, my street, you know, I'm just like, wow, like there's so much need, you know. And so that can also make you do nothing, too, because you feel like, well, I can't do anything. So I just want to encourage us, like um, Kina saying, like abide and then we, we do what we can, you know. And we entrust that to the Lord. And I just love like looking at this picture of even for Boaz, a nobleman, like this was a huge sacrifice. This wasn't necessarily easy, but the Lord working in him worked that out, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I often pray like, Lord, help me do what I can. And then as I grow and sometimes it's like I take a step forward, I take Mm -hmm. a step back, (laughs) I take a few steps forward. I notice I'm able to like let go of my things even more and be able to give more and it's Mm. a a process so we don't have to like feel like okay this was great now I'm I gotta Mm -hmm. go save the world (laughs) you know that's like gonna make us Mm. not do anything that's too big but can I do one thing you know can I think of one per like you said one person in my community that I could just it's not even always uh like I'm just thinking where my mind goes is like giving you know what I mean but that is part of it. But there's also like even just getting to know someone, like not just having those divisions there that we don't even realize are there, but we're just like bypassing people and not even like truly seeing them, truly engaging yes. them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so like just thinking like what what's one, you know, you probably see me mm-hmm. write this a lot, Kina, but I'm always thinking like what's one just small thing I can do? 
in response to this is I feel the Lord pricking my heart that, yeah, I'm like that. I can see, Lord, that um, you're calling me to love these people in my life right here who are vulnerable. And just what's one small thing, Lord, that, that I can do? You know, what's one thing I can let go of, whether it's time, whether, you know, or maybe it's just getting to know their situation and starting starting there and letting the Lord mm-hmm. soften our hearts there. And usually he starts to just take over and you're just like, okay, yeah. I'm here for the ride. Like, yeah. just, <laughs> you know, um, he's teaching us as we go, not as we just sit mm-hmm. here thinking about it. Like we kind of have to, to take a step yeah, towards so people. Good. Yeah. And that's what Ruth you know? does and shows us like just in those small acts of faithfulness, God is, is, is working. Mm-hmm. And it's important probably to remember that there are Naomi's in our churches too. And perhaps if you're listening, you're a Naomi right now. I mean, Naomi mm-hmm. is just a compounding affliction in the first few verses as the setting is, is being made in, in the first few verses of the book, compounding affliction. And she gets to a point of at the end of the chapter saying, well, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara or bitter. Um, call me bitter. My whole identity, my, I, I've been named by my trials. I mean, that's how deep by my, the shame of, of my situation, Mm -hmm. my name is no longer pleasant. It is bitter. And there are, mm-hmm. can it, when there are Naomi's among us, it can be easy for us to hear a statement like that and jump to judgment and say, ah, they just have a weak mm-hmm. faith or, ah, they're just, or that, you know, how dare you say that about the Lord? He, how dare you say he's against you? Like, don't you know, don't you know, mm-hmm. Romans eight twenty eight? Don't you know all these, that mm-hmm. God is working this out for your good? And it's like, well, until I'm in Naomi's shoes, and I really hope I'm never in her shoes to that degree, but until I'm there, it it can be really hard mm-hmm. to understand why someone would, especially in a covenant family or covenant community, would get to that uh, statement, would go mm-hmm. to that far to say that sort of thing. I'm empty. And the story of Naomi mm-hmm. is that God brings her from emptiness to fullness even in her returning back to the promised land from Moab, it's mm-hmm. not about how well you return to the Lord. It's not, it's not about, mm. oh man, I need to like double check that my repentance was perfect or my confession was, was a precise, like it just come back, mm. just come to the Lord. And, and, um, mm-hmm. You know, hopefully reading Naomi in this story and how God abundantly blesses her and doesn't rain down fire mm-hmm. from uh, fire and coal from heaven for her statement in chapter one. Right. But instead is almost I would imagine kind of, yeah, maybe crying with her. But then also there's this subtle smile on his face because he knows what he's he's about to do. And hopefully we can have that sort of posture with the Naomi's in our lives to say, look, I'm going to weep with you. I'm not going to I'm not going to ostracize you for for your faith that's wavering in this season. I'm just going to walk with you and continue to show faithfulness to you because God is writing a story that you and I can't even imagine. Um, And I have to believe that. Mm. Mm. That's really good. Thank you so much, Kina, for pondering Ruth with us, just taking time to ponder the book as a whole. This is really rich. It's like a feast, really. Thanks, Laura. 
There's so much to chew on from that conversation, right? It's been a few weeks since I recorded that conversation with Kina, and the thing that keeps coming back to me is the prayer for God to overcome my apathy. Even as we talked, I was so convicted of how little I care about the vulnerable around me, mostly because in my own strength, I have little to offer. And because I'm often so focused on myself, it just seems like an impossible endeavor. But the work God calls us to, even the covenant kindness exhibited in Ruth and Boaz, is a work of the Lord not theirs or ours. We fully participate, but He fully leads and empowers. I pray that this episode gives you a vision for loving people well with the love of Christ, especially those around us who are so easy to neglect. But hey, I am not the Holy Spirit, so tell me what's sticking out to you. How is God calling you to respond? I want to take a moment to thank Kina again for coming on. Please go grab her books, Love Gave and Love Made. They are children's books, but they powerfully minister the truth of the gospel to adults as well. I speak from experience, and my kids love them. As always, I got to thank my patrons who have been supporting this podcast even while we've been on a break, making it possible to even be here today doing season three. A special shout out to Callie. Thank you for being a Ponder patron. I'm so grateful for you, girl. Another special shout out to my husband for all of his help and encouragement to keep going when I'm tempted to let this go. There are a number of ways for you to support this podcast. Leave a review, become a patron, engage with us on Instagram. I'm grateful for it all. Till next time, have a blessed week. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. The believer's ear It soothes the sorrows, heals his wounds And drives away his fear